Welcome to the Unpacking It podcast with Bryce Johnson. It's a show that unpacks sports, faith, and life with intriguing guests from the sports and entertainment world. Enjoy inspiring conversations and thought-provoking interviews. You'll hear stories from people that will inspire, challenge, and encourage you. Now, from the Unpacking It studios in Charlotte, North Carolina, uniting sports fans everywhere, here is Bryce Johnson. Welcome to the Unpacking It podcast, where we unpack sports, faith, and life. Today's guest is former Army Ranger and author Stephen Elliott. He graduated from Oral Roberts in 2003, and three weeks later, he began Army basic training at Fort Benning. He became a member of the elite 75th Ranger Regiment. He joins us today to discuss his book, War Story. Sometimes the real fight starts after the battle at its core. War Story is a dramatic personal encounter with war and faith, love and tragedy, and ultimate renewal. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Um, I'm doing well and, and, and really excited to, to share with our audience today uh, your story. And, and it is a story of, of renewal and, and what God has, has done in someone's life. But, it, but it's also uh, very difficult and, and there's a lot of pain and, and heartache to, to, to share as well. And, and so we'll, we'll discuss uh, you know, the, the story of, of how you're you know, one of two Army Rangers who are considered likely to have tragically fired the shots that, that ultimately killed former NFL player Pat Tillman. Uh, but before we get to that, I'm curious, what led you to join to join the military and for you to take those steps right after graduating from Oral Roberts? Yeah, I had um, um, I had was going into my junior year uh, at business school at ORU when uh, 9-11 happened. So um, that definitely sort of shifted some of my thinking, you know, quite a bit. And, and you know, certainly we live in a world where um, you know, anymore, it's very much a pre-9/11 and a post-9/11 world as far as so many things that have changed uh, because of that event and and um, all that's come as a result of it. And so, for me, I think um, I kind of started just asking myself a lot of questions as far as what what was my life going to amount to, and and what was I here to do, and what was I here for? And I saw, I think, to some degree. Uh, military service as uh, a pathway to manhood. Hmm. Um, I'd like to say that, you know, all of my intentions were purely about service and, and purely about, you know, a response to terrorist attacks, uh, which is partly true. Um, uh, I was angry and, and felt like, you know, we needed to do something about it and wanted to be part of that. Uh, but I think I also wanted to prove to myself that I I deserved and belonged amongst the ranks of people who called themselves men. I didn't really have uh, a dad in my life growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, my uh, my grandfather, my mom's dad, sort of filled that role, and he himself was a, a World War II vet. He, mm-hmm. he had served in Italy for a year and a half, and and I think I always saw to some degree. And he was he was surrounded by a lot of peers who had you know also served, and so I think to some degree I saw that that sort of class of of person that um, you know they went in. Um, they did what they had to do, and then they they went home and and went about the business of of their lives. And so, um, so I think it was a combination for me. It was a combination of certainly the the events of 9/11, and and then also myself, uh, sort of wanting to use military service um, as sort of uh, a self-imposed rite of passage, if you will. Wow! And so, 
I, I guess early on, then what was the experience like, and and was it living up to what you thought it would be? And and we'll we'll talk about maybe the defining moment, but just kind of initially, what was the experience like? Uh, it's terrible. <laughs> so, yeah, from, uh, from spend, the get go. Um, yeah, exactly. Which was pretty much, you know, it's as advertised to some degree. I mean, you're you're going in to. Uh, for me, you, you start off, it's um, the, the path to be, you know, an Army Ranger is sort of inverted from that of the Navy SEALs, where in the Navy, the Navy doesn't have any other infantry units mm-hmm. other than the SEALs. And so when you go into the Navy, you go in as a, hey, I'm going to be a, a radar technician on a submarine. And then I, I, I opt to go to the selection course called BUDS. And then after you get through selection, then they basically teach you how to be an infantryman. In the Army, it's the reverse, uh, where you start off... Uh, doing all of your basic, all of your infantry school, your airborne school, and then the last stage uh, before you actually get assigned to a unit, which in this case the 75th Ranger Regiment, uh, is the Ranger selection process. So um, it was kind of just a, a, um, yeah, it's just kind of a miserable experience, to be honest with you. (laughs) You spend a lot of time waiting around, uh, and if you're not waiting around, you're probably getting yelled at, and if you're not getting yelled at, you're probably doing push-ups while getting yelled at, some combination of all of those things. And so, Mm. um, so yeah, it was, it was pretty much like that. And then it, it felt like it didn't really get started in a way for me because all of that was a pretext for, I had joined to, to go through ranger selection and, and hopefully become part of the unit. And so, um, you spend like five months, um, just in the buildup to actually going to ranger selection, which at the time was called RIP, uh, mm. the Ranger Indoctrination Program. And so that actually happened. It felt like we, we finally got going, you know, uh, that fall of 2003 after having been at Fort, Fort Benning for a number of months. And so, yeah, it's challenging and it's, um, it's jarring. I think anyone who's, um, who's been in the military or, or uh, frankly, you know, been in prison <laughs> yeah. for some period yeah. of time. Uh, there's there's similarities, and mm-hmm. I, I haven't haven't been in jail, but having talked to guys who have and who've also been in the military, that's kind of what happens. You leave your life behind you. Um, you leave your identity behind you. Uh, drill sergeants don't really care what your GPA was, and you're you're sort of uh, you're sort of all the scores of life, so to speak, are all all sort of reset to zero mm. for everybody, which is a good thing for some and not a good thing for others. But um, yeah, it's, it's a very much a, a cultural uh, culture shock. And there's it do, doesn't matter how many movies you've watched or how much you think you can prepare yourself for that. Um, like most things in life, you can't really. Uh, you can't really know what that's going to be like until you're right in the middle of it, until you're experiencing, you know, the homesickness or you're experiencing, um, you know, just the the annoyance and frustration of, and I think that was the biggest thing for me was mm. just taking for granted how much of a free agent in life I really was, mm. um, where, yeah, I have obligations, but you know what, if if I really didn't want to go to that accounting class, I didn't have to. Um, if I really didn't want to do that thing, I honestly didn't have to. There was no one going to kick my door down and yell, yell at me for that. And in infantry basic training, that's not how it works. <laughs> so, um, so that was just, I think, a, a massive adjustment for sure as you integrate into a, a, a totally, foreign, uh, totally foreign culture. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing all that. And I think it's just important for us to to be reminded of all that that is it's that it's entails and and all that you go through and all yeah. that you give up and 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 all that uh, we we kind of gloss over maybe and then just the day to day. And you talk about not not being a free agent. I think that's uh, that's very uh, well said. And and along those lines, we'll, we we got to talk about Pat Tillman because 
he was, you know, respected because he left the NFL and he gave up a, a lot. But but the the reality is, all of you guys that that, that leave and, and and serve give up something. But he was you know well known and and it was a, a big story. And so he was uh, assigned to the same platoon as you. And and so how was he viewed by the other guys? And and what was your relationship like with him? Yeah, um, when I got to. Um Second platoon Alpha Company, Second Ranger Battalion at Fort Lewis uh, in the fall of 2003. Uh, Pat and Kevin had already been there for a while. They'd already deployed um, with the platoon um, on uh, what was at the time their first deployment to Iraq, uh, which is crazy to think about that now, um, wow. 18 years on. Um, so this was, I mean, everything. Uh, when I got there, um, the company had just deployed to, they had just gotten back from their first deployment to Afghanistan, just experienced their first KIA, and had deployed to Iraq once. And since then, I don't know how many dozens of deployments to both of those um, uh, areas of operation the, the battalions had, but it's been a lot. And so they'd been there for a little while. You know, they were, you know, more or less, you know, settled in. Um, I was assigned to the same squad as Kevin, Pat's brother, um, so we were both in weapons squad. We were on a part of the machine gun teams for the platoon. Mm. And yeah, they were Ranger regiments, uh, at least my experience with it uh, and the, the leaders that I had. They're really no respecter of people. You go in, you do your job, and you go home. And as long as you can do your job well, nobody really cares about your politics. They don't care about your fashion. They don't care about your music. It, it doesn't really matter. It's uh, we're unified around a common task and doing that task to the best of our ability. Mm. And so, um, and I didn't, so I didn't, there wasn't a lot of, there was no, I, there was nothing that um, was treating, you know, Pat or Kevin any differently than anybody else. They were both hardworking guys who showed up, uh, both pretty understated. They, they weren't loud or, um, you know, they weren't obnoxious. They weren't, they were just good guys um, who, who very much obviously enjoyed the company of one another, for sure. Um, and, um, you know, Pat in particular, and Kevin too, but but both of them were just very voracious with respect to detail and wanting to do their jobs well. Mm. And so, um, you know, I experienced that with Pat. I was the, as we prepped for our 2004 deployment to Afghanistan, uh, I was uh, named the platoon language specialist for Pashtun, which is hilarious because I'm not a Pashtun speaker, <laughs> but I got sent to language courses for a week and, oh, and got a crash course on, you know, all the all the key phrases that you need to know as an Army Ranger uh, with, with Pashtun. And um, Pat was hilarious because he would not leave me alone in terms of wanting to go over dialect and wanting to go over, like, he just wanted to get it right mm. really, really bad which was great. Uh, and it was also kind of sad in a way because I was a lousy teacher. I mean, I, ah. you know, I, I couldn't, I could, I could only offer so much. Um, but, but those are the types of guys they were, they were just, uh, they were really good. They were really helpful. They were really down to earth. Uh, and they were, you know, a pleasure to work with. Oh, no, that, that's great to hear. And, and Stephen Elliott, our guest right now on unpacking it, former army ranger and author of war story, and and you know a big part of your story is is being involved uh, with the, the the situation that that ultimately uh, saw Pat Tillman lose his life and and so I encourage people to check out the book and and, and read the the full story. Uh, but but can you just kind of sum up what ended up happening to Pat Tillman and and your 
involvement that day with, with what ended up happening? Yeah, so we had uh, deployed to the Afghan-Pakistan border uh, in uh, early April of 2004 as part of a spring surge, so mountain passes uh, between um, tribal regions of, of Pakistan and Afghanistan. They open up and, you know, folks are able to move much more freely. And so uh, our forces respond with putting more boots on the ground to to, to meet that. So we were there uh, to do raids and patrols um, along the Afghan-Pakistan border. And having done that for a few weeks, uh, finally on April 22nd of 2004, after our platoon had been split to accomplish two different objectives, uh, one half of that platoon, the half of the platoon that Pat was in was, um, or excuse me, the half platoon we were in was ambushed, and Pat's platoon, Pat's half of the platoon responded to that. Unbeknownst to us, um, both elements didn't know where each other were because mm. of lack of communication, um, and it's uh, dark is beginning to descend. It's uh, it's late in the afternoon, early evening, and the sun is setting, so lighting is poor. And ultimately, as we moved out of the the kill zone, a, a canyon, we we saw muzzle flashes uh, and human shapes along the side of the the ridge that appeared to be firing at us and our. The, the ranking member of our vehicle, I was manning a, uh, an M240 Bravo um, that was mounted on a, uh, on a, on a Humvee, a stripped-down Humvee. Our ranking member, a staff sergeant, opened fire. Uh, he fired on uh, the individual who appeared to be firing at us. Uh, it turned out later that that individual uh, that uh, he shot and killed was an Afghan military soldier who was uh, fighting along with us, and he was shooting over our heads at um, enemy positions behind us. But in any case, um, he was killed, and then our vehicle, you know, absent any other information, we keyed off of those shots, and we fired uh, on that position as well. Um, Pat was um, uh, directly adjacent to that individual. Uh, Pat was ultimately uh, killed as a result of that, uh, and then uh, the Afghan soldier was killed, and then two other members of our platoon, uh, the platoon leader himself, a lieutenant, and the radio operator, they were both wounded. Uh, and all of those casualties, we we learned within within 24 hours, it was pretty much known throughout the platoon that um, all of those casualties were sustained as a result of friendly fire. And so that's the um, that's sort of the the shocking uh, you know traumatic event that occurred uh, there on April 22nd, and then. Um, you know, we came back to the FOB, and mm. there was critical incident debriefs, and there was, you know, investigations that started and those sorts of things. And then, again, it was, uh, you know, there was no question um, that it was friendly fire. Uh, you know, we were told to tell the investigators the truth as best we knew it, mm. um, and um, we did. And then um, we went back out and did some more missions, and we came home. And so... Um, so yeah, that, that was, uh, and at the time, you know, you're in a, you're in a state of shock as far right. as you don't have any context for, for, for war anyway, that, that's your, your first time, um, doing that and, and being engaged in that act. And then, um, you certainly don't have any context for this thing called friendly fire and, and, and how to process that and what that means. But, but that's what happened in, in April of 2004. Gosh, it's a, it's a tragic story and, and you can hear really all the details, uh, in the book War Story by Stephen Elliott, our, our guest today on Unpacking It. And, you know, the part of the title is sometimes the real fight starts after the battle. And and so you mentioned initially it was hard to process. You don't you know really know, oh, man, it's hard to just soak in and, and you're, you're on to the next thing and that sort of thing. So at what point then 
were you able to process it? And ultimately, when did really th- this affect you the, the way that it did, that, that ultimately led to you know, some major personal spiritual issues that, that you encountered? I was, I was numb for a long time. Uh, when we got back, um, it, was, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a series of false senses of closure. Mm. You know, you, go, you do these investigations in Afghanistan, and then you're back out doing raids. So you're just like, well, I guess that was it. You know, like, I guess, I guess we're done with that now. Mm. And then you go back home, and then you realize that actually the military was, was lying to the family. There's no other, I'd, I'd love to use another word, but that's exactly what they did. Yeah. Um, and so then that blows open a whole nother, it just makes anything worse, right? And whenever we, a tragedy is bad enough, but when we, when we deceive somebody about the tragedy, we just compound it. Mm. And so then, um, then there's more investigations. And then, you know, I'm, um, you know, one of the guys who uh, is released from the Ranger Regiment as a result of, as a result of that incident and sent back to the big army. Um, and so, and part of that was, I didn't want that to happen, but at the same time, um, I kind of welcomed it in, in a way because it was just like, well, maybe if this will get me further away, I'm, I'm kind of, I was sick. Uh, I was sick of the Ranger Regiment at the time, um, mm. at least our leadership, because it wasn't just what happened on the ground, but then it was, uh, everybody felt a sense of betrayal as far as how, how it was handled with the family. So in a way, I was sort of like, well, good riddance. Great. Wow. That's fine. Uh, get out of here. And by probably within, you know, four to six months after um, leaving regiment, settling into a different staff job, uh, working for a general officer, um, actually on the East Coast and in the Carolinas, that's when the shock starts to start to wear off. And, and, and that's when um, the after effects and, and really the early signs of you know, post-traumatic stress disorder uh, for me really started kicking in. So mm. it was, uh, it was nightmares. It was a lot of uh, sleeplessness, hypervigilance, um, and then ultimately just self-medicating with alcohol to try and take the edge off. Mm. And so, kind of as that unfolded, um, I'd, I'd grown up in church. I was, I, I couldn't have told you the difference between my cultural understanding of Christianity and my actual personal understanding and relationship with yeah. with God because the, those were pretty well intertwined and as that period unfolded um you know you can um you can blame yourself for so long um before uh you start blaming God mm. and um you know I felt that my my theology which at the time um and not to say that it's you know great now but um my theology at the time sucked because uh, I was basically um, the way I think of it. You know, I think the, a pretty effective prism to understand um, kind of who I was and, and the journey that I was on was the, really the prism of the um, you know the prodigal son, the the, the two sons, where you have. Um, uh, I was going into the deployment in, in April 2004. I was I was the older son. Mm. I was the one who was checking all the boxes and who really, really liked the idea that essentially if I do enough good things, whatever that means, uh, and if I perform well enough, then, you know, it's kind of written in the contract that God's supposed to bless me <laughs> and that life's, life's going to be good, you know, and, yeah. and that um, I'll prosper and that those around me will prosper and I'll be doing good things and, and, and so on and so forth. And then 
when that doesn't happen, or at least it doesn't happen the way that you think it should, the castle that you've been building in the sand is sort of washed away because that's mm. what I had. Mm. Um, then you're you're left with some you're left with a gap, and I didn't respond very well to that. Mm. Um, I, I I was the older son who basically stormed away and said, you know what, if that's the way that you run this place, you can have it. Wow. Um, I'm going to be over here doing my thing. On one hand, that helped because then you were freed from trying to reconcile um, these two tensions of an all-loving creator with a fallen world and pain, mm. um, which is a very difficult thing to reconcile sometimes. Um, you don't have to reconcile that anymore because he's just not there. He just doesn't care, but it doesn't really matter. Um, but not surprisingly, that doesn't that doesn't do much for you um, in other aspects of, of your life. And so mm. um, I doubled down on my self-reliance. I doubled down on my own ego. I doubled down on my own ability to perform and my own ability to, you know, be a good person. And um, things got worse. Wow. And I did that for, you know, the better part of 10 years oh, um, before, you know, got to a place where, you know, my wife and I, you know, we went through, uh, separation, divorce, and and you know ultimately remarriage. The Lord brought us back together, and um, but for me it had to get, you know I I believe now you know on the other side of of a lot of that that it wasn't so much that God had this dark journey that I had to walk. I chose to walk it, mm. and mm. I think I don't think it was a ten year journey. Mm. I think I think Stephen made it a ten year journey. Wow. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> because of good. choices that Stephen made. That's good. And so I, I mean, we'll I'll, I'll probably never know all that, and maybe it doesn't matter. But I yeah. think um, I think my pain and my frustration, to some extent, was directly proportional to my pride. And the longer that I chose to effectively not give up, um, and on a spiritual level, you know. Uh, just even acknowledge um, a creator. Um, and then on a practical level, which um, is just even inviting other people into the conversation of of dealing with the after effects of war, mm. um, because I didn't want to do that. Mm. I didn't want to talk to anybody about it. I did that some, and it just felt like a big waste of time. So it's so like, I'm going to go to your office for an hour and talk to you about problems, about things that happened years ago. And it just feels like I'd rather not. <laughs> yeah. So, so there was a lot of that, and and um, and a lot of it for me was just yeah, it was a, it was a long dark road that was um, I think to some extent um, self-imposed because of my own choices. Wow, no, there, there's a lot there to unpack, and and again, appreciate you you sharing all of that, and 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 definitely want to talk about the the remarriage because I uh, just love that aspect of the story, but but when it comes to the alcohol, the PTSD. Uh, in, in another interview, heard you talk about you know suicidal thoughts. So so take me into the the spiritual transformation because here you were. You mentioned the you know the dark path that you were on, and ultimately have a you know a, an understanding of who God is, how much He loves you. So maybe take us into some of that and how He ended up changing you from the inside out and 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 ultimately addressing some of these you know major issues that that, that people can relate to in in, in different degrees. Yeah, it it was definitely a process. You know, there wasn't um there was, you know, moments along that journey there where I can I could mark, you know, significant differences. But what I would say is um that he has a he has a tendency to work through people. And um what I mean by that is, you know, we don't realize I, I believe that we live in one of the most hyper individualized cultures that the world has ever known. Oh. Um it is so easy to be a quote-unquote um, 
independent person in the West than it ever has been in terms of you know sourcing sourcing your money, sourcing your food, sourcing your rent, whatever it is. I mean, you can you can do it on your own, or at mm. least you think you're doing it on your own, when in reality, all of us exist within the net of a community, even if that community is our Uber driver and, you know, the grocery store down the street. It, it mm. requires lots of people for each of us to survive. Um, and I can say that I think there's times where, man, I just wanted, I just wanted God to zap me while I was in private, praying and I could just I could go into the prayer closet a mess and come out all cleaned up and nobody would know the difference. Yeah. And I don't think that's generally how he works. No. Um and at least it wasn't how he worked for me. And because the, the, the underlying issue again for me was was pride. And so um half of the uh, half of the problem for me was just being willing half of the sickness was just a reticence to even ask for help, mm. uh, let alone receive the help. And so, you know, for me, I, I had to get to a place um, where I, I could, you know, just raise my hand and say, I'm sick. I'm not doing well. Like, mm. it's not normal. You're not supposed to drink a bottle of wine every night and then fall asleep. Like, wow. that's not good for you. And so, um, and, you know, spouses, um, at least my wife, is, is pretty good about kicking in the shins and saying, hey, <laughs> that's not okay. This isn't going to work. Yeah, I mean, there was lots of moments along the way like that, but um, you know, after we got remarried and and uh, the the fact that I had post traumatic stress, um, you know, that was that was named, and then um, then it was a process of just really for myself, you know, uh, it 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 got worse. Just my own sleep deteriorated, my health deteriorated because I was working a ton and and was still suffering with the the after effects of that and. And ultimately, I found myself, um, you know, uh, at, at a place where, um, you know, the Lord brought me, brought me to my knees and, and healed me. Mm. And uh, that was um, a very dark and a very scary and a very hopeless place because that's where I had to get to allow him to do the work that I think he wanted to do. And so, um, so that happened, you know, three or four years ago. And then, um, yeah, since then, it's, um, you know, I have problems and um, I get irritated with people and they get irritated with me and I have good days and bad days. Yeah. Um, I don't have what I was carrying around for, for so many years. And, wow. um, and that's just, but, but for the grace of God. Amen. Amen. Oh, it's so powerful. He's Stephen Elliott. The book is called war story. Sometimes the real fight starts after the battle. And I would love to hear just a, a little bit more about your remarriage because, uh, it's just such a, an encouraging thing to, to hear about, and so maybe what was the, the, the key to that, that happening and, and what can even be an encouragement to those listening today that may be struggling in their marriage or maybe have already gone through divorce? Yeah, I think um, it's, it's a great question. I mean, you know, for us, we met uh, pretty much right after the, the, I got back from deployment or we started dating right after we got, I got back from deployment. And then we spent the first two and a half years of our marriage apart. Mm. Um, which is not unusual in some, you know, military instances uh, for us. And so then I got out in 2007, and um, I spent I spent basically the last part of my enlistment blaming the army for my problems, mm. uh, which is which is frankly that's pretty easy to do because the army has got a lot of problems. <laughs> so yeah. it's a big bureaucracy, right? Mm-hmm. And there's there's it's easy to take pot shots. But um, my my whole our whole narrative was well once I get out of the army and get in settled into new life and new job and all this stuff is going to um all this stuff is going to go away and turns out it didn't 
And so then uh, we spent the first couple of years, me being home, basically in this state of disappointment where it's like, well, our problems are still here. Um, you know, Stephen is um, detached, um, emotionally detached and um, very withdrawn, which, which I was because I was just kind of managing my own sickness and my own, um, you know, demons from the past. And then finally, she just said, you know what, I'm done. Like, I can't do this anymore. After having said that many, many, many times, that mm. things need to change, that, you know, why don't you talk to somebody? Why don't you do this? You know, uh, why don't you just, some, this isn't okay. And after, you know, saying that so many times, um, you can only say it so many times. And so, we uh, we separated and and uh, I moved out and you know during that time um, started getting some counseling and and um, uh, EMDR was a, a, at that stage in the journey was a helpful therapy for me mm. uh, didn't cure me but it definitely helped me process some stuff and then through that time you know sort of what happened was you know she had doubled down um, on her own independence and had doubled down on um, you know basically once Stevens out of my life everything for me will be okay. And it turns out that wasn't true. And so, you know, we were both sort of coming to the place, we were both just coming to the end of ourselves. And I would say that mm. marriage is great, mm. um, but it is, the, it is the hardest and most difficult thing that any human will do because you're voluntarily agreeing to be joined with another sinner. That's right. And if you think for a second that that person is going to complete you and fix you, you are wrong mm. because they won't. Mm. Um, they can be a blessing to you, they can be a help to you, but that is only going to happen when each party is independently um, submitted to and relying on Jesus. Absent that, um, Mm. it's, you know, the analogy that I think works pretty well is it's two ticks and no dog. (laughs) And, um, And that's essentially kind of what we were. And then through that time, you know, there's all sorts of little, you know, interactions along the way that sort of get you there, but it was basically, um, yeah, we had, we had, there was no malice between us. Um, you know, we weren't mad at each other. We were, you know, heartbroken over, Mm. um, something not turning out the way that we wanted. And all I can say is that we didn't have, we as fallen humans, we didn't have any raw material to work with. It wasn't like, you know, I've got this mess of a thing and I just need somebody to put it back together again. I didn't have anything. It was a wasteland in terms of, my emotional capacity in terms of, you know, all of that, that was needed to be a husband. And, um, we we prayed and, uh, we asked and, you know, God was faithful and he created, um, he created something out of nothing for us. And I think that, um, you know, for, because I I remember those feelings. I remember those moments of just complete and utter despair where it's just like, well, this is dead. Like I know what dead looks like and this is dead. You know, I would say to anybody listening that, you know, um, if you think you lack the power to bring life to your marriage, you're absolutely right. You're 100% right. You lack that power. But there's somebody who, who does have that power and who can guide you and who can um, who can breathe life into otherwise dead dead relationships. That's what he did for us. Mm. Um, and mm. even even with that, you know, it's not it's also not to say that if you don't remarry the spouse that you're divorced or contemplating divorce of, uh, it doesn't mean that it's not there's not hope for you either, right? Um, there is. There's 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 hope all over the place, mm. um, to the extent that we're willing to rely on Him. 
and there's healing and and that looks looks different for everybody as far as the journey that that needs to be gone on for that but um we were a mess mm. and uh, we still we still are a mess in our own ways and and yet we can look back and we can see that to the extent that we're not a mess it's directly it's directly proportional to the extent that we are submitted um to to the lord and that we're inviting him into the conversation and when we don't uh, when it's all about um, what I need, and it's all about you know me bargaining and jockeying for power and position, it doesn't go very well. And so we're we're still on that journey. We're still learning, um, you know, how to serve one another and and how to serve the Lord together. Um, so it is a journey. Um, you know, we joke uh, that we already tried divorce and didn't really work for us, and so we're kind of stuck with each other as far as that goes. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's the other thing too is sometimes. Man, the idea of divorce, it just sounds so good. <laughs> I'm sick of this person. And if I could just get them out of my life and just move on, everything would be fine. And there's, in some aspects, that will be true. Even in the most abusive and dysfunctional relationships uh, where maybe that needs to happen, um, divorce is still, in any in any context, it's still death. Mm. It is still a death mm. of something. Mm. And it mm. may solve some problems, but I, I promise that it will create others. And so um, I don't say that to condemn anyone who is doing it or who is contemplating it, because wherever you're at in that journey, there's there's hope for for a better future. Um, uh, it's just that's that's how our story, you know, today has turned out. And um, um, the only thing I can tell people is um, is you have to quit trying to make it about you and right. and uh, and submit to the Lord. That's right. Coming to the end of ourselves, and, and that's the, the key aspect of it. But, man, I really appreciate that encouragement and, and just that, that honesty and transparency. And it's, uh, it's, it's inspiring stuff from uh, former Army Ranger and an author of War Story, Stephen Elliott. And, and kind of the, the last question, just it's almost in, in summary in, in many ways, is this idea that at one point you didn't want to be known and you didn't want your story to be out there, but but now you do want your story out there. And and so how did that mindset change and, and how important is it for you to to share and, and you put it down on, on paper for this book, but but for people to to hear and know what you went through and, and ultimately what, what God did in your life. Yeah. I mean, it, it changed uh, because um, uh, the 10-year anniversary date in 2014, um, ESPN came knocking and uh, wanted to do uh, an anniversary piece from the perspective of the shooters, uh, because no one had ever done that. Mm. And so we contemplated that, initially said no, um, and then kind of got to thinking that, well, if this is just about talking about a tragedy that occurred 10 years ago and that's it, then what's the point? Mm. Um, there's lots of sad stories you can tell. You don't need me to tell this one. But the thing that w- w- what was striking us about it was the fact that, um, you know, the uh, mental health epidemic um, that exists in our country, it certainly exists within the military and first responder community, um, is not confined to people who perhaps shot and killed accidentally an NFL player. Um, and so there's, you know, 20 plus veterans a day who, who commit suicide. There's uh, many more who in the active duty ranks who make the same choice. Um, we, we have, have had and continue to have a mental health epidemic on our hands. And so, you know, I think I write it in the, in the preface of the book is that if this particular story, if war story matters at all, it matters not because it's unique, 
but precisely because it's ordinary. Mm. Because all of the other trappings, um, a young man full of idealism going to war to ostensibly serve his country and then you know, go on to, to, to live a, a full life, um, that story gets told every day and has been told for thousands of years. Mm. And then the story of what happens when you fail. What happens when others fail you? What happens when you hurt others and they hurt you? And what do you do with that? That is not a new story. And so um, we just kind of figured, you know, if we have any sort of a platform, just because of our my association with Pat for arguably some of the worst possible reasons, fine. What are we going to do with that? Um, if all we're going to do is talk about the past, then it's a waste of time. But if we're going to use that story yeah. to pivot and talk about um, perhaps a better future and um, to talk about the work that the Lord's done in our life and to talk about specific changes that need to be made within the active duty military to better recognize and treat those that we're sending to war, um, then let's do that. And so then the story becomes a tool and a catalyst for for conversation and hopefully a catalyst for healing as well. And so mm. so that was the math. You know, we you know we did the interviews and the feedback was very positive and and so it seemed like well um and then we were invited i was invited to 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 write about it and so uh so that was sort of how that's um evolved and and the feedback um uh if if people have negative feelings about about the book um uh they're not talking to me which is fine i guess because <laughs> the feedback that we get is um has just been incredibly encouraging to see how it's being being used um in other people's lives. Oh, it, it's awesome and 100% of the author's proceeds will be donated to serving the mental health needs of the military and veterans community. So go check out the book. It's called War Story. He's Stephen Elliott. Stephen, thanks so much for for sharing your story, for being willing to to write the book, but then to uh, to join us today on unpacking it and share it with our audience as well. And so we uh, we greatly appreciate it and uh, continued blessings to you and and your wife and your uh, you have two daughters, is that right? Yes, two daughters. That's right, seven, seventeen and seven. Oh wow, that's awesome! Very. I just yeah. ha- I just had a daughter myself uh, two months ago, so. Oh man, congratulations! So I'm I'm fresh in, in the the dad daughter world, so. <laughs> That's great. It's awesome. But but thanks so much, and uh, and greatly appreciate your time today. Yeah, thank you, Bryce. Appreciate it. Awesome. Mm-hmm. There's Stephen Elliott joining us here on Unpacking It. For more information about the show, our events, and other resources, visit unpackingit.com. That's U-N-P-A-C-K-I-N-I-T.com. We hope you are encouraged, inspired, and challenged by what you heard today. To support our show and Unpacking It Ministries with a financial gift, visit unpackingit.com slash donate. We look forward to unpacking sports, faith, and life with you again next week.